Hello again, and welcome back, everyone, to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, assistant sports editor, and I'm joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Ted, welcome back. Lots of news this week. Hockey is on its way back, phase two. There's a playoff format, a draft lottery update, and officially what we've known for months and really since February 21st when the Wings were eliminated from the playoffs for the fourth straight year. The season really now, Ted, right? It's officially over for the Wings. Yeah, Mark, I think everybody's glad that there is some sort of resolution. Mm -hmm. You had heard rumors that maybe they'd bring back everybody, all 31 teams. But when you think about it, I mean, those seven teams that they did not bring back, there really was no reason to. I mean, other than to complete the regular season. But at this point, I mean, the runway for to complete this suspended season is getting shorter by the day. So mm-hmm. made the right call by just bringing back the top 12 teams in each conference and the wings and those six other teams. There's plenty of time to prepare for next season. Now you were on uh, conference calls this week, Ted, with the, uh, with the wings, with Steve Eiserman, Jeff Blaschel, Dylan Larkin and Luke Glenn Denning. Let's begin with Eiserman deciding to bring back Blaschel for next season. Here's what Eiserman had to say after you asked him about his decision. What did you think of the job that he did this season under the circumstances? I think Jeff has done a good job. I think it's been a difficult position. Uh, you know, in his tenure here, the Red Wings are in a rebuild and have been for a while. And for the last uh, two, three trade deadlines, the team has, has, has traded – valuable players, good players for future assets. And Jeff has, with his head held high uh, and diligently worked hard, um, uh, done a good job in, in coaching this team in a difficult situation uh, throughout that. And I think it's, as I'd said in February, I think it's unfair to judge uh, him based on our record at this time. And quite frankly, we need to improve the team to get a true, you know, for anybody to truly uh, critique or assess the coaching staff. We need to improve the team. So, Ted, what do you make of Iserman's decision? Was it the right decision? I think you can't blame Jeff Blaschel for what happened this season. I mean, the roster was undermanned. Mm -hmm. The injuries really took their toll. This, This obviously was a team without a whole lot of veteran depth. And when you miss people like Anthony Mantha, uh, Danny DeKaiser for the whole season, uh, veteran defensemen like Trevor Daly and Jonathan Erickson, they couldn't afford all these injuries, and they had a lot more. The roster just didn't have a lot of NHL mm-hmm. experience, NHL-worthy players. I don't think you can blame them for that. It's like Steve has mentioned a few times, the, to get really – see what kind of coach Jeff Blaschel is, you're going to have to give him a roster that's competitive. I mean, an NHL-worthy roster. And and we'll see maybe next season, the year after, they'll build it up and we can see more of what a coach Jeff Blaschel actually is. But this past year just wasn't a fair test. I mean, it really was – he could have brought in the reincarnation of Steve Bowman, Toblake, everybody – of Jack Adams, all of them combined, and I don't think they could have made her out of this roster. Let's hear now then from Jeff Blaschel. Here's your question about the news that they will name a captain before next season. Jeff, Steve talked yesterday about uh, 
naming a captain prior to the season or whatnot. How important is that for a hockey team just to have a leader like that? Well, I'll start just by saying leadership's uh, critical. Um, you know, I think the, the way you ultimately win in anything, but certainly in sports, is with uh, talent and character. Uh, you need both. And, and, and you need your best players to be uh, your greatest winners. And, and so leadership matters a bunch. Uh, it, it, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. Now, um, wearing a letter or not wearing a letter doesn't necessarily dictate uh, that, that you can lead or that you do lead. Um, how you act, how you, um, how you uh, go about to trying to get the most out of those around you, um, how, how you handle yourself uh, professionally every day, uh, that's leadership. That's real leadership. Um, certainly, uh, I understand the significance of, of the C. And, you know, it's, it's placed uh, certainly in history, especially with an organization like the Detroit Red Wings. And I think that's part of the reason why, when, you know, Steve understands it. And, and when Steve came in last year, um, in our conversations, he, he just said he wanted to uh, observe, and I get that 100%. I, I respect that for sure. So, um, you know, I heard his comments uh, yesterday as well, and, and him and I will sit down uh, over the course of the next uh, little bit here, and we'll talk about everything, like I said, with our coaching staff. We'll talk about everything to do with our hockey team, and, and certainly captaincy will be part of that. And uh, uh, I, think, I think the biggest thing is making sure that when you do uh, give somebody a, a letter, uh, whether it's a C or an A, um, that they're ready for it uh, and that they're the right people, uh, the right person in that job. And, and so um, I think it can really help a team when you have great leadership. You know, I've gone through a ton of Zoom calls with a bunch of coaches and, and the word culture gets thrown around a lot. And really, if you really dive into it, what culture generally is, what happens with cultures, you, your best players are your best winners. And if your best players are your best winners, special things happen. So I think uh, uh, we certainly have some guys that I think are – uh, capable of being great leaders um, that, that have been great leaders through extraordinarily difficult, tough times. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, when that decision's made, uh, it'll be made with a thorough process and, and make sure that it's done right. Ted, is it almost 100% certain, as certain as could be, that the Wings will name Dylan Larkin captain? What are, what are your thoughts? There's some decent candidates. I think Luke Glendening is really maturing into a heck of a leader, but I mean, for the long run, obviously, it's going to be Dylan Larkin. I, would, I mean, I'd be, everybody will be shocked if it's not Dylan Larkin. Over the last couple of years, you've seen some really serious growth in terms of leadership from him and on and off the ice. I think he'd be a very worthy candidate. I think he'd do, he would do a good job. He's going to be here a long time. And just his commitment and his desire to win and see this organization become a winner again, I think he'd be a fine captain. Let's uh, hear now from uh, Dylan Larkin. Here's Wojo's question about health concerns, coronavirus concerns, when they do come back. Dylan, I know you won't be playing games, per se, competitively um, anytime soon, but training and practice and when you can get back, would, do you think you'll have any nervousness about the virus and the safety protocols that are in place? Because everything is kind of just – flying, you know, um, experimental at this stage. Will you be nervous at all about what's in place? Absolutely. You have to, you have to think about that. I think for myself as a, um, you know, luckily a young, healthy person, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be more worried about my family and, and uh, people that, you know, I could harm from being out and being in contact, whether it's a game night or, or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, if you think about normally with, what we do on the road or 
uh, we're all traveling together. There's a lot of people that we can come in contact with. So, um, you know, I would be a little bit uh, nervous, I guess, but I think uh, the league and most uh, every sports league is, is going to do the right thing and, and make sure that um, the players are also doing the right things and, and making sure that uh, we're uh, not going to be a harm to, to communities or fans or, or whoever it may be, more, more importantly, each other and our families. Ted, what are your thoughts about these health concerns and what things may look like down the road? We don't know necessarily even week to week, month to month. It's so far down the road. I, I wonder what things will be like when the wings uh, do uh, hit the ice again. No, I, I don't think we can plan that far ahead. But just in the short term, I think a lot of people need to pump the brakes somewhat in terms of this coming season, the resumption of this season. I mean, yes, they do have a format to come back to, mm-hmm. a 14 format with the first round plan and whatnot. But there's still plenty of logistical hurdles to overcome, and especially from the health standpoint. Uh, there's plenty they haven't worked out with the Players Association, a lot of safety issues. There's by no means a given that this resumption of the season is going to take place. I mean, there's a, I mean, it's kind of an, un, I think it's understood. I guess both sides really want to get this done and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I don't know. There's still plenty of hurdles. A lot of things that the players' association are going to need and want to feel safe. Um, and again, like you said, Mark, there's so this thing seems to change by the day or the week. Hopefully we'll see hockey this summer, but in what form? And I don't know. You hope that they can pull this off, but it still seems like all these pro sports leagues, we're all kind of hoping, but we'll see if it actually takes place. And now let's hear from the team's player rep, Luke Lendenning. Here's your question about what the team might do to get together while the playoffs get underway. What do you think would help you guys? Like a mini camp down the line later this year or? Just I don't know, exhibition games with that, with the seven teams that didn't make it. I mean, have you guys been spitballing anything? I mean, how much would a mini camp could could something like that actually help a lot? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's a it's a unique situation, and you know, I know in the NFL they do those OTAs, and um, so there are there are options. I don't know um, if the NHL and the NHLPA will agree to something like that. It's an interesting proposition, um, and maybe uh, could be used. And Ted, just a couple of quick questions. The draft lottery, the wings, the odds are still at 18.5 that the wings will get the top pick overall. Um, June 26 will be the first of possibly two draft lotteries. What are your thoughts about how this all shaped up and, and how it affects the Red Wings? I've kind of been mystified as to the reaction from so many people. And basically it's mm-hmm. modified somewhat, but essentially it, it's the same plan that it's always been. From the Red Wings' perspective, the odds don't change. It's just it's changed. I think what what's upset a lot of people is when the initial plan to accelerate the draft to what early June was floated out there. The Wings had essentially over fifty percent chance of getting that first overall pick and forty-seven percent chance of getting no le- no lower than the second overall pick and. Mm. Now it's you know now there's a fairly good chance they'll either get the third and third or no worse than fourth. 
but that's that's always been the draft lottery format. So I think fans are just irked by that. The fact that instead of drafting first or second, now it's first, second, third, or fourth. Look, they'll still wind up with a good, very good prospect. Uh, the odds aren't as great now, obviously, of landing number one overall, but mm-hmm. they're going to get a very good player either at two, three, and four. It's going to be a good piece to build upon going forward. And Ted, I didn't ask you about your thoughts on Gerard Gallant and your best guess about what's happening there. Gallant apparently is uh, applying for the job in New Jersey along with Peter Laviolette. Jeff Blaschel is now the third longest tenured coach. He has been for a while. John Cooper, Eisenman hired him back in 2013 over Lindy Ruff. The second most tenured coach is Paul Maurice and then Jeff Blaschel. But the Gerard Gallant factor, a lot of people thought that Gallant may be coming here. He, uh, he still could be next season or down the road. What are your thoughts about what might have happened there? I just think, I, I think honestly, I think Steve Eiserman liked the job Jeff Blaschel did. Yeah. I mean, at, even in February, he backed him pretty strongly. I mean, you could kind of tell back then that it would take an utter collapse for him to make a change. And the, another part about it, I think Wojo kind of referred to it either on the radio or in his column. I mean, there's only nine months between games. I mm-hmm. mean, this would that really would a coaching change really work with that type of long, long layoff? Jeff Blaschel knows the players. I mean, they've developed fairly well, some of the young prospects under him. Bringing in a new coach, I'm not sure that would have been ideal at this point. I mean, especially with this whole coronavirus and the way things have shook out. I mean, there's going to be so much time between. Mm -hmm. I think Jeff Blaschel did a good enough job where, Again, like we said earlier, he wasn't to blame for this mess of a season. He'll be under the gun next year again. Obviously, he's going to have to produce uh, much better results, I think, or at least better results than what happened this year. But I don't see where bringing in Gerard Gallant really would have yeah. changed things around here. Coming up uh, next, we'll hear from Grand Rapids goalie Pat Nagel of Bloomfield Hills. That's an interview recorded before Nagel re-signed with the Wings. We'll also take a look at Ted's rankings quickly of the uh, goalies in the organization. But first, Pat Nagel. Joining me now is Pat Nagel, who went 9-8-1 with the Grand Rapids Griffins this past year. And Pat, now during the uh, coronavirus outbreak, what are you doing now as you sort of Look ahead. You're in contract talks with the Red Wings. How are things right now for you, Pat? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, trying to stay busy. It's uh, some weird times ahead. I've been uh, trying to get into some books, watch some TV shows, and uh, I recently had a son that's been uh, keeping me pretty busy. Earlier today, we talked to uh, Brian Mahoney Wilson, one of the goaltending coaches in the Red Wings organization, and he's expecting their first son tomorrow, his second child. What's it like uh, right now being at home with your son and your wife and like a lot of players just trying to stay ready for when the season begins? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, He's helped me out just talking me through the process a little bit. Um, You don't know exactly what to expect. You you read some books, go to some classes, hear some things. But uh, 
it's a wild one that's for sure uh it's been great uh like you said these past couple months being able to uh, be around my family a lot more than i would be if the season was still going on that's kind of been a uh, blessing in disguise uh definitely looking at the positives out of this uh this whole mess but uh yeah i've been really enjoying it getting to know them getting Mm -hmm. going through a schedule etc and starting to learn a little more about being a father every day pat tell us a little bit about uh brian mahoney Wilson, uh, you guys go back a long ways. You're almost the same age. He's 34. You're 32. He played at Lake Superior State. You played at Ferris State. But your paths have kind of crossed the last couple of years because he's been there trying to um, impart some of the knowledge he has to sort of, you know, improve your game as well. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, we have a really good relationship. Uh, fortunate to have him as a, as a goalie coach as well as a friend. It's been, like you said, it's been a long path of uh, crossing each other. When we started playing against each other in college, uh, it's pretty funny now that he's my goalie coach and I'm still playing somehow, but uh, really, really puts your age in perspective some days. But uh, no, it's been great the last uh, three, four years. He's worked with me a ton, uh, if it be in Toledo or Grand Rapids, and uh, just pushing to evolve my game to to really work on the little things that can make a difference uh, night in and night out. Pat, what are some of those little things as your game has evolved? Brian talked about trigger words, uh, you know, uh, everything from movement in the crease to nutrition to, to um, educating yourself about facing new players in the American Hockey League. What are, what are some of the things that you think you could identify as as things that you guys have been discussing? Uh, video is a big part from the standpoint, like you said, of going over what teams may be doing. If it's on the, on the power play or things to look for on five on five, those tendencies tend to come out um, once you see a team once or twice. And so it's nice to build off those of things that uh, you possibly did well against a team or, or things that you struggled on and maybe got scored on and you're a little exposed. And so we'd, we'd go through that video and and then apply it in practice and say, Hey, here's Mm -hmm. what we did. Well, let's build off that. Here's what we didn't. Let's feed off that. We'll try some of these scenarios and see maybe what we could have done differently. Um, He's done a nice job of that. Um, Especially just pushing you through the basics sometimes are, are, are a good thing as well. There's a lot of good goalies that have, you know, found a way to work their way up and it's just a matter of continuing to do those little things as well as adapting to the new styles as you climb the ladder. Pat, looking back when you were called up to Grand Rapids from Toledo, you had played only eight games in the AHL in eight years, the fourth most wins in the ECHL. So you're coming up, Rockford was one of your first games, but what was your thought process? Because when you came up, uh, we were looking at the numbers. I think you started off like two and five and then went five and two, something along those lines. But what were you thinking when you knew this was a big chance with the injury to Larson, Pickert was being recalled, the team was sort of on the brink as well. Could they make the playoffs? What were your thoughts heading, um, heading back up to the Griffins and getting really a big, big opportunity in your career? Yeah, it was awesome. I think, like you said, you just you just take it as an opportunity. Uh, I was excited about it. had had a good start to the year down in Toledo. Had played a ton, so my game had had gotten back up to speed uh, after a, after a short summer there. And you're just mm-hmm. looking to uh, help the team find a way to win. Uh, for me, it's just keeping it simple and and playing my game. And and that's like you said, at the end of the day, you just you just want to try to get a win. 
and uh, and that's what you're pushing for. You talk about simplifying your game. How how would you characterize uh, your style? Your you're 6'2", 195. Are you a stand-up goalie, a butterfly goalie, whatever's necessary? Is it, even, <laughs> is, it, is it even possible nowadays, Pat, to even characterize yourself with a certain style? That's a good question. I mean, I think once upon a time, there was definitely stand-up, butterfly, a little bit of the old school, whatever it may be. Um, playing this long, I'm sure I have a few safe selections <laughs> once in a while that – probably the younger guys like what were you thinking there but um yeah no I think my game's really really evolved especially the last couple years here of just working with the coaches in Detroit and in the off season here at home um of just the movement aspect the skating aspect the game's gotten so fast and everyone's so skilled you have to be so patient yet so explosive in the crease to to keep up with it all and so I think um that's been one thing that's helped me is just applying um, some of these new techniques and, and, and hoping that, you know, you can find a way to, to keep, uh, keep learning and keep improving. Yeah, that's interesting. You talked about being explosive and being able to move quickly and, and better athletes are certainly coming to the game. Almost all the goaltenders now are over six feet tall. There's only a handful of goalies in the NHL under six feet. But just for the average hockey fan, when you talk about skating in the net and being able to move laterally, um, we hear a lot, Pat, about, you know, uh, players who can move uh, uh, laterally left and right. And But what's it like, those short little movements? Because we hear that good goalies, you know, the puck hits them. They're not moving drastically across the net. But you also have to come out and move side to side. So could you sort of explain what that's like? Yeah, for me, it was, a, was just like you said, is, is that pre-shot movement of what, where do I need to be prior to that shot? So. Mm-hmm some of my strengths were were kind of reading plays uh using my hands making that first save as i got stronger at it i struggled at those things when i first started playing pro and so then the next step for me was let's get to that spot to make that save easier i had the athleticism at times to make those saves but i was making them too tough on myself that i wasn't getting to the certain spot in order to be ready to make that save i was maybe still moving to get to that spot and so little things like that have allowed me to to get set to get square I think a lot of times my game may look kind of simple, kind of boring, um, not real flashy, but usually that's when I, I tend to notice that I'm playing better because I'm getting to where I need to be. You're seeing the game. I see what you're saying. I think getting into position quicker, you know, you're not like moving really quick where, you know, the legs are open for some easy goals. Exactly. Uh, and is that something that just comes with, with age or uh, you said video? Um, Brian talked about looking at the other team and some tendencies and power plays. And, you know, you need, of course, teammates to stop the backdoor passes and things. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said, one breakdown within that chain of events, and you can get scored on pretty easily. Um, and usually the, f- the finger's getting pointed at you, and so you just try to, try to uh, avoid those as often as possible. you got to trust your D, you work with them. Um, the PK coaches go through everything with us, do a nice job uh, getting you ready for the weekend or whatever game it may be. And then, yeah, you just got to go out and execute. And so it's nice nowadays um, with the pre-scout and everything, it, it really gives you an advantage of at least having an idea. I mean, within the game, 
there's still the games that things change, things happen. You have to be able to uh, to adapt and adjust to what may be occurring as well. It makes you wonder, Pat, why anybody would want to be in this position because <laughs> you're right. It's always you're the last line of defense, and a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, Brian said in the ECHL, there might not be as much structure as the AHL when there's not as much as the NHL. But Brian said sometimes you might face like uh, more odd man uh, rushes. Um, so like, and, and here you are taking all the blame, right? But that's, that's sort of an occupational hazard, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things you look back on and you're like, what was I thinking? Did I like the gear? <laughs> Did I like the mask? Like what was the attraction? I didn't realize it was going to you know, last another 20 years of my life, but um, no, it's been great. And yeah. Like you said, it's it, each game can have that. And it's funny how some nights you're playing well, but you just saw a lot of chances and, and that's the way it went. The stats maybe aren't on your side. And there's other nights where the team plays well and maybe you didn't have your best night. And you get a five to one win. It's just, it's a funny game sometimes. Pat, I think you played about 1400 games between AHL appearances. And for a lot of fans, a lot of players would have loved that opportunity to play in the East Coast League and to, to set these records and to come close to championships. What was it like as far as like mental toughness or learning that there still was this goal, you were going to get your chance, but that's a long time to be waiting. So how did you handle that? Yeah, it wasn't easy. I think uh, earlier in my career, um, signing with Tampa Bay out of college, you're, you're striving for the NHL right away. And it's, it seems like it's right there yet. I had so much work to do that I didn't realize how far it really was away. Mm -hmm. And so as you go through the minors and you're working and, um, just trying to become a better goalie, it, it takes some time. And so, I mean, once in a while you see a goalie that's, that's young enough and ready, but oftentimes it takes guys at least a couple of years to really get their feet under them. If you're coming out of college, juniors, it's just a completely different game. And, and the amount of talent out there, I don't think people realize of, of how strong the minors are here in North America. And so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough process. Uh, it's easy to start looking at the computer in the summer or during the season saying, how's that guy getting called up there and I'm not, or, or going through those things. And at the end of the day, you just got to worry about you and improving your game and, and finding a way to win hockey games wherever you are. Cause uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's what teams want or are guys that are, are going to work hard and, and find a way to win. Pat, do you still have that NHL dream? You're a lot closer now after the 20 game opportunity, almost a safety valve for the, for the Red Wings insurance policy, if not for the Red Wings, another team, but is the NHL, is that something you still think of? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think it goes away. Um, it's something you, you think about since you're five years old and you're playing, you know, mini sticks in your basement or, or street hockey or whatever it may be. Um, mm -hmm. You, you start to realize as your career goes on what, what may or may not happen. And, and you learn that, you know, things have you've been very fortunate to play a game for a majority of my life. And so I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, I think every year you try to strive to improve and to get better and, and just keep climbing the ladder. And I don't, I don't know if people realize sometimes just how much you need to improve just to be successful at the level you were at each year of uh, how often the turnover is of there's a new goalie drafted into the system every year, a new goalie signed into the system every year of just the competition level. And so it is, it is tough. And, and that's just part of the process. It's a privilege to, uh, to play and to continue to uh, try to get there. 
have you been signing year to year? Is that what it's been like? And then you just try and move up the depth chart? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It can be tough going year to year. At the same time, I think it, it keeps you motivated at times. And so um, you always have that over your head of, hey, if I want to continue playing and I want to have a job next season, I better find a way to uh, step it up. And I mean, there's highs and lows within every season. And I think that's just, just part of it. And as you get older, you learn to uh, to work with those and to continue to grow and, and get through them. Um, I've been very fortunate to be signed in Detroit system for the last uh, three seasons. And I think that's really helped my game of just, it's been, it's been awesome being close to home. Toledo Grand Rapids are both uh, a couple hours. Uh, it's huge for my family, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as then you just look at the coaching staff of, I've gotten to know uh, the staff in Toledo and Grand Rapids both very well, as well as Detroit um, from camp every year. Um, And that same thing goes with the goalie coaches. And so I think every year as you build that rapport with them and you continue to grow, they, they see your game, they see you as a person, all the, all the little intangibles that maybe as a free agent in the summer signing with a new team, they don't see or don't know you. And so um, being able to sign a couple of extensions over the last couple of years has been great. Pat, what are the odds that you may extend your contract with the Red Wings? And if that's something that you can't really talk about right now, what's it like um, trying to plan for the next year? Because clearly there's a lot of opportunities out there uh, for you. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts about the Red Wings, where you've been, like you said, where you've, you've found a bit of a niche? Um, how... How are things coming along as far as negotiations? Uh, it's been great. I've spoke with uh, the assistant general manager uh, with Detroit a bunch here in the last couple of weeks. Um, he's been he's been good to me, uh, obviously over the last couple of years, and we built a nice relationship. So we're able to to talk and start figuring things out. And but uh, most of that stuff gets handled by my agent and. And those guys, the higher powers, take over and, and handle that. And uh, for me, uh, it's been great. It's our, it's my hometown team. Uh, it's a privilege to be in this system. Uh, getting to be a Red Wing there for that first month or two of every season is always great. Um, at main camp, etc. Um, getting some preseason games, getting to wear the jersey is always always a always a privilege. And so uh, that's that's always fun. Um, it's funny how you mentioned it just being like the hometown team of how yeah. much everyone notices. And so maybe when you were going to camp with Tampa Bay and other teams, people don't really register just not being familiar with the whole process. And, and so then I'll get comments in the beginning of every year, like, Hey, you're on Detroit's roster. Hey, you're dressing for the wings tonight <laughs> or whatever it may be. And so it's, it's always funny how it kind of gets highlighted when, when it is your hometown team. And so, uh, yeah, like you said, the last couple of years have been great here, and, and obviously I'd, I'd love to resign. Um, it's part of the process of summer is, is talking to the team you're with as well as what other opportunities may arise. Um, it's good to have other opportunities, but uh, for me, yeah, I've been uh, pretty lucky to uh, be in the same organization for a couple of years. That doesn't happen as often these days. When you were in Grand Rapids, uh, Pat, and, and you've been in training camps with Mo Sider, uh, the Red Wings' first-round draft choice. He was our guest on the last podcast with his uh, German countryman, Tim Stutzel, who will be a, a top four, top five uh, draft pick. Uh, Mo said that he has no intention of going back to Grand Rapids. That's his mindset, that he wants to make the team. And there are so many other factors 
uh, that'll go into play training camp and whether he'll start in Grand Rapids. But I'm curious what it was like uh, during the 20 games, certainly with him back on defense. He'd been injured for a little bit. Could, could you talk a bit about uh, the maturity and what you saw uh, playing behind Mo Sider? Yeah, he's, uh, he's been great. Uh, I think it's pretty fun to see him do so well. He was a bit of an unknown from the standpoint of not being a North American player that was drafted so high. And mm-hmm. so I don't know how much people had really seen him play, but uh, obviously Detroit did their homework. Uh, he's he's going to be a stud. He's, he's a great player, a great kid. Um, he moves really well for his size. Um, to see him play uh, with the intensity he did, he has some grit, he had some big hits, a uh, little bit of everything for being that young, playing against, I mean, guys almost 20 years older than him at times. And so it, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I got to know him. Uh, he came in early last summer and we'd skate downtown before camp and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's got a great personality. Mm-hmm. very vibrant likes to laugh likes to joke around and and i just uh yeah i like seeing him like seeing him every day at the rink and so it'll be fun uh to see him get his opportunity and uh hopefully he can run with it you know pat when i when i first started looking into the story and i saw a story about a you know a career minor league goaltender at age 32 that may seem like it's a goaltender who well goalies are younger than that but i looked at the top 55 goalies or the 55 goalies in the league this year and as i was telling uh brian mahoney wilson more than half of them are over the age of 30 and it's just amazing dubnik anderson bobrovsky howard rask kadovin Halak, Bishop, Varlamov, Ranta, Reimer, Stalik, Grice, Koskinen, Markstrom, Crawford, Fleury, Quick Price. The list goes on and on. These are all goalies over 30. There were 29-year-old goalies, Frank Kuz, Kumper, and Allen. And I guess, as Brian said, it's a position, obviously, where players may be in their prime at a certain age, but there's certainly a lot of opportunities. And I, I guess that would be something that you would sort of concur with, that uh, it takes a while sometimes to hit your stride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's not many positions available. And like a lot of those names you mentioned, um, they found a way to stay and keep their net for for a long time. And so to beat them out, you might need an injury, an offseason. Um, a lot of little factors come into play, but oftentimes with only being two of them in the right. NHL, there's only two in the AHL and two in the East Coast. And so it just shows – how hard it is when, when maybe you think you're close, but at the end of the day, if there's somebody ahead of you that's been doing it and being successful, it's going to be tough to beat them off after uh, day one. And so you just try to work and, and learn from them and continue to get better. Um, I've had that privilege just going to camp with some of those guys over the years and, and you just see what they do day in and day out. And most of them are great guys that want to talk, want to help. And, and you see that. And I think that's why they've been successful and, and kept their jobs at that high of a level. Do you feel your drive is even greater the last few years in the Detroit organization though? Yeah, it's, it's been great. I've just been put with some, some great people to kind of reestablish my game, reestablish my mindset, um, just of being excited to be there every day. I mean, it, it truly is a privilege. Like you said, the, the uh, pyramid gets pretty small. Um, yeah even in the minor leagues. And, and I don't know if people realize that of just how tough it is if you were a good junior goalie, college goalie, um, played well in Europe, whatever it may be, you come here and you realize, oh man, there's still a lot of good goalies <laughs> i got to beat out. 
and that's just that's just part of the process and so I think going back to what you said on opportunity it's it's a it's a matter of getting that opportunity some guys do some don't and then when you do get it taking advantage of it and um it, it you never know what's gonna happen and so it, it is fun to stick it out and, and just uh try to put your best foot forward and see what happens any final thoughts about where you are right now yeah i think uh, a lot of those past places we've mentioned um the experiences i've had have just led me to this this point of uh continuing to push forward like we said and yeah. just trying to get better every season uh it, it's easy to go to europe or walk away or, or just kind of try to push that dream, dream, dream to the side, I should say, uh, in North America. But um, if you just keep working every year, uh, you never know what'll happen. Did you ever think about giving up, Pat? I'm sure there were certain times <laughs> within seasons. Um, I think times like these make you realize how much you miss the game and, and being around the guys, the locker room, um, the travel, whatever it may be that that gets you going but at the end of the day just being on the ice uh is just it's a great thing and to be playing a game for uh for a profession is pretty special and so uh there like we've talked about there's ups and downs and and there's even ups and down seasons to an extent uh you might have been banged up a little you may have struggled a little bit or your team wasn't doing so hot um not every year do you get to to get to go on a long run uh through the playoffs and experience that but when you do i think it it just it garners to to push that much harder for the next season do you really appreciate those times pat thanks for your time uh today and uh talking to us a bit about your career and what it's like uh being a goalie a professional goalie and uh, a step or two away just from the from the nhl thanks again for your time today pat yeah thanks a lot for having me i appreciate it ted time to wrap up your uh player by player rankings we've looked at the forwards the defensemen today the goalies you had five goalies ranked among the top 50 players uh number one and number 12 overall was jonathan bernier and then you listed um in order uh number 40 the second ranked goalie was Keith Petrozelli, Victor Bradstrom, Philip Larson, and then Calvin uh, Pickard. Uh, Jimmy Howard's status is up in the air. Uh, Pat Nagel's there as well in Grand Rapids, and Jesper Eliasson. Just overall, Ted, the goaltending situation, the Wings have the worst goals against average. It might be the the, the weakest group of goaltenders in the NHL. Question mark. They'll need to get a veteran. Yeah. No yeah. question. And they will. There'll be some people out there. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be somebody to compliment Jonathan Bernie. I don't think it's going to be a Braden Holpe or some, somebody of that ilk. There's, I don't have the list in front of me, right in front of me, but there are going to be some good veterans. Yeah. Well, there's Cam, guys. yeah, there's Cam Talbot, Thomas Grice, Robin exactly. Leonard. A Grice yeah. would be perfect. Somebody that you can work in tandem with, with Bernier. And I think that would solidify. I mean, again, Jimmy Howard, it's unfortunate. I mean, it just didn't work out well at all this year. Very likely the end of his Red Wings career. But again, a lot of people <laughs> would be up in arms to hear about I mean, Jimmy Howard was probably, you know, I, I had him as the third best goalie in the Red Wings organizational history. I mean, you the career he's had here. I mean, he's never, he never won a Stanley Cup, no, but, I mean, he's won a lot of hockey games for this organization. It's just too bad that it just totally collapsed here this season. It really did. It, my dog agrees with me there. <laughs> he certainly Howard does. just had a miserable season, and 
it just worked out. It just didn't work out for him this year. He'll probably wind up going somewhere else maybe where his career is done. But. Sure, sure. By the way, the uh, complete list of Ted's top 50 players in the organization, that's online at DetroitNews.com and on our Octopulse Facebook page. Coming up on the next podcast, we'll hear from Sweden's Lucas Raymond, one of the top draft choices for the draft. His draft year was quite similar to Steve Eiserman's draft season with the four-line defensive-minded Peter Roll Peets. That'll do it for today. Um, we'll talk to you soon, Ted. Thank you. And my dog Campbell says hello to everybody. <laughs> so we'll talk to you next time, Mark. All right. Campbell says, Campbell says hello and stay safe, everyone. Bye for exactly. now. Exactly.